0: The universe requires balance, everything created, giving weight to that which surrounds it. This eternal fire within our soul fuels a restless heart, never darkened by the pursuit of a truth that we desperately desire. Separated from one another, we draw inwards. Distance nurtures longing. There we find that nothing is at one with itself. We reach out to others to fill the void in our hearts. To care for. To embrace strengthen the connection between everyone and everything. A bond that could never be contained within four walls. In this journey to close the gap between isolation and connection, we are the church.
1: All right, what's up everybody? How you doing today? Good to see you want to uh, welcome everybody at all of our physical locations and those of you joining us online. And as you saw from that video, we would be absolutely thrilled to be your church home, uh, wherever you may be watching from, whether you are in Indy or in some place around the world. And that's really what TPO, Traders Point Online, um, is all about. And we've been working really hard to get that stood up on its feet over the last six months or so. You know, we were online uh, before the pandemic happened. But we were mostly just kind of streaming live the, the services. And now we want to be more intentional about it. And uh, actually, just so you know, um, it was a part of our uh, vision strategy to launch a fully online campus within about 18 to 24 months. But then the pandemic happened. Crisis is an accelerator. And so what was going to take us 24 months took us like two months. And so we stood that up on its feet. Now we just want to get better at it. Yeah, we can celebrate that. And uh, so, I got a couple exciting things to share with you as it relates to the online campus. First of all, um, you can be a part of our church family, whether you can show up physically or whether you are living in another state or another country. Um, and uh, we are putting Growth Track fully digitally all online. So, what Growth Track is, is to help you take your next steps towards spiritual growth and connection. So, you can get an online group. Uh, You can serve, you can give, you can be a part of the mission all digitally and online. You know, there's really two big aspects to church involvement. Uh, One is content. Like we want you to have the content of God's word that you can apply to your life. But the other is connection. And uh, one without the other, your church experience just isn't going to be as good. In fact, I can even say that a lot of people show up physically to the church to get content, never connect. And we want to help you connect. And the same thing is true uh, digitally online as well, so you can go to the app, you can go to the website, uh, you can get all of Growth Track digitally wherever you are. Second thing is, at all of our physical locations, we have a campus lead, somebody that's there in person to help you in person to take your next steps towards growth. And so we've just um, put into a role, a brand new role for us, a online campus pastor. And so I'm really excited to announce to you that Nick Dern uh, is going to be our online campus pastor. This is a picture of his wife. Um, this is his family, his wife Allison, their three boys. And Nick, if many of you know Nick, because Nick was our Northeast campus pastor, the, one of our newest campuses that launched earlier this year. They'd only been going maybe three or four weeks before uh, we went into the pandemic. And Nick very quickly pivoted and he started innovating, he and his team ways to gather people digitally. Uh, today he's overseeing uh, just all the watch parties that are launching, continuing to innovate ways to gather people digitally. He's going to do a great job of that. Nick is a great leader, and I'm super proud of him and all that he's doing. So if you know Nick uh, or Allison, just reach out to them this week and uh, give them some encouragement. Well, uh, today we are wrapping up this uh, three-week series of messages that we have been in since our physical regathering a couple weeks ago. And uh, have you, has the series been helpful to you? I hope that it's been helpful. Um, it's been helpful for me in my own personal life. And that's really uh, what I want, no matter what it is, what series that we're in. Like a couple of questions we always ask of ourselves is, uh, is the content helpful and hopeful? And what I mean by that is that I want to unpack what God's word has to say for, to us. And I want to apply it in such a way that if you are a seasoned believer, a brand new believer, or not yet a believer, you'd go, that connects with me. Like that you would walk away and you would go, man, that, that was really helpful. Like I understood it and I know how to apply it to my life. And then also that you would walk away and you go, and, and, and I feel hopeful. I feel hopeful for the days and the weeks and the months ahead because we have every reason to have hope. And that's one of been, been one of the hopes behind... This series called Behind the Mask is that uh, the big idea, if you're just now joining us, is we've been saying that 2020 is the perfect storm for division and disunity. And I don't even need to tell you why. You already know. Like you've been watching the news. In fact, you're kind of sick and tired of it. And we just kind of see all of this stuff that's been going on in the world this year. And I like how somebody described uh, 2020. They they said, hey, back in March. Whenever we kind of heard about this virus thing and everything needed to be shut down and locked down, we kind of thought, okay, we can do this. We can do this. Let's put on our running shoes. We got to run a marathon. This will just be a few weeks. And we got done with that leg and we came in. We thought we were finished. Somebody handed us a bike. It's like, oh, there's another leg of this. I didn't realize that we got to ride several miles now. We can do that. So we rode the boat, the bike. We, We got back in. Somebody handed us a Speedo. It's a bad mental image, I know. We're like, no, there's, there's a swim to this thing. Oh, I didn't know I was in a triathlon. I thought it was just a marathon. I didn't train for a triathlon. And here's the deal. It's not over yet. And so as a result, we're all tired. And we're weary and we're worn down. And so the emotional reserves that we might normally have in a more normal year, like they just aren't there. And uh, we all uh, probably have a pretty strong opinion about all kinds of things that are going on in the news right now. You probably have a pretty strong opinion about the pandemic, about mask wearing, about the election, about some of the social justice issues. And we're really well read on it. We've done our research. And so we've got our perspective. And so it's really easy for somebody to say or to post just the wrong thing. And it sort of offends us, it sets us off. And then we react by saying something that's maybe offensive to them. And then we are divided, and there's all this disunity going on in the world. What we've been saying in this series is that behind the mask, and in many cases on the other side of that screen, is a real-life person created in the image of God that Jesus died for. And just that fact alone should cause us to treat that person with love and respect, whether or not they ever come to agree with us on any one of those issues. That we should, as the Big C Church, we should model a different way. That, that we should actually demonstrate to the rest of the watching world, Hey, hey, we don't have to agree on everything. And actually, we we can have differences of opinion and see things differently, and yet we can still treat each other with kindness and love and, and respect. In fact, this is super crucial for us to do because this was Jesus' dying prayer the night before he was arrested and crucified, is that he prayed that we would not have uniformity where everybody is the same, but that we would have unity, especially within the Big C Church. And unity implies diversity. Like we wouldn't need unity if we were all the same. No, we're different. We we see things differently. We grew up differently. And Jesus said, you can still be unified in my name. And it is so important for us to hold on to that important truth for these two reasons. What we've been driving down on in this series is that the mission of the church is far too critical. And almost every time that you hear Jesus urge us to be unified... And almost every time the New Testament authors encourage us to be unified, they almost always follow by saying so that the world would know. Or hey, this will prove to the world that you are my disciples, my followers. Not how much you know, not how moral you are, not that those things are bad, but how unified you are. The second thing Is This is what we drove down on last week. Is that God's plans for your future are far too big for you and I to hold on to an offense. And we simply said that to be offended is human. That's normal. But to live offended. well, Well, that's a choice. And it's holding so many of us back. Because when we step into the trap of offense that our enemy has sort of laid out for us. Then it clamps down on us. And then it turns into into bitterness, And so last week we talked about how when the traps of offense are lined up, we, we need to use the, the Hebrew word abar. We, we step over it, we, we step around it, we navigate through those traps, we don't get stuck in it, so that way we don't become bitter. And I've had a lot of really good feedback from, from so many of you, but one of the questions that has come into me is, hey, that, that all makes sense, but can you tell me how? can you tell me how I can do that? Like, how I can step over that? How I can step around the offense? Like, Aaron, what if I step into it and I'm I'm stuck in it? Like, how how do I get out of it? And that's how I want to wrap up our series today. I want to look real quickly at something that a guy named Paul writes to a church in Ephesus. and, And he's actually encouraging them to be unified. Now, one of the things I hope for you is as you read the New Testament, as we come out of this series, is that you'll see that this subject of unity just comes up a lot. And the reason why is because they were people too. They had opinions too. They had interpersonal conflict too. And so Paul is writing to them and he says, hey, get rid. The idea for me is like, just take out the trash. Just like get rid of all that stuff. Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. So they had Facebook too. (laughs) And he said, get rid of all that stuff. And he said, instead be kind to each other be tender hearted remember the analogy last week thick skin courage like a lion soft heart be tender hearted forgiving one another just as god through christ has forgiven you it's that last part there that should really be the motivation for any kind of forgiveness that as followers of Jesus, that right there should be what should set us apart from the rest of the grudge-holding world. That they would look at us and go, how do you guys forgive like that? And can't, how do you forgive in a way that is healthy? Because if you tuned in last week... I said, hey, hey, don't don't just stuff it, don't just suppress it, and that's not what I'm saying here. Like, oh, you just need to forgive, and you just need to kind of just, just stuff it down real deep. You just need to kind of forget it. That, that's not healthy for you or anyone. So, how do you forgive? In a healthy way. Have you ever um, had something come up and you know you need to address it, but for whatever reason you choose not to? Like, like. I'm really, really good at procrastination. I actually think it's one of my spiritual gifts. Like I'm so good at it. And have you ever like had something come up, like, it's a problem. Like maybe it's a leaky faucet. And you're like, well, that's a problem. Like I should, pr- it's on my to-do list, but it's been there for quite a while. So long that it actually turns into a bigger problem. Uh, Same thing with like car maintenance. You know, when I was in uh, college, I drove a Chrysler LeBaron and I was just a poor college student. And I remember getting in one day after class and I started the car up and that little check engine light came on. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes I just kind of assume that's a suggestion. I was just like, well, maybe I should look at it. But I didn't want to look at it because I didn't want to know if it was going to be an expensive problem and I didn't have any money. And so I just ignored it. But I got tired of looking at it because every time I started with the car, it's like right there. And so <laughs> I took a little piece of um, black electric tape. <laughs> problem solved. Like I didn't have to look at it anymore until several weeks later, I heard a pop as I'm driving down the highway, looked in my rearview mirror, all this black smoke's billowing out the back. Because I ignored it, I created a bigger problem. And I would say that Choosing not to forgive an offense, it might sort of help in the moment, but I'm telling you it's going to create a bigger problem on down the road. Forgiving other people can be really difficult because can we just like be honest? Revenge, just the thought of it, you don't even have to act on it. Revenge is more fun. It just is. Like you can say amen to that if you want. Like you're just like, can we agree with that? Because it sounds pretty good to me. It is. it is. Revenge is way more fun than offering forgiveness. Kind of reminds me of that story of that uh, college student. And she's, uh, she's just driving up a beater and she's going from one class to the next. And she's trying to get there. And a guy runs a red light in a uh, really expensive BMW and just hits the side of her, totals her car. But he takes off. He, it's a hit and run. And he doesn't stay to share insurance information. She didn't have enough money to replace the car. And so for the rest of her college days, she's got to ride a bike or or hitch a ride with friends. And just this resentment towards that guy grew and grew and grew in her heart. She didn't even know his name or how to find him. And uh, about 12 years later, she is a successful dentist in the same town. And her 3 o'clock root canal showed up. Oh, yeah. It's the hit and run guy. And she told him it wasn't gonna hurt, and she lied, right? <laughs> like, I don't even know if that story's true, but I like telling it because there's like something that really resonates with me in it. it kind of reminds me of uh, something that a guy named Frederick Buchner said. He said, Of all sin, resentment appears to be the most fun. And I would just mark out the word appears. It is. It is the most fun. And granting forgiveness towards someone is a deeply personal thing. And perhaps right now, even as I bring up the subject of forgiveness, maybe there is a name or a face that pops into your mind and your immediate visceral reaction is, oh, no, not them. Not what they did. Not how they did it. Or I've tried before. I tried to forgive and it didn't go well because, you know what, they weren't receptive they didn't think that they'd done anything wrong. Or maybe they're not even in your life anymore. Maybe, maybe they aren't even around anymore. And so what are you supposed to do with that? And you know, maybe you've heard plenty of messages on the subject of forgiveness and they were nice and maybe you even agreed with the content, but when it came to applying it to your life, something broke down. Or maybe you had a parent or a teacher or somebody that you really respect say, hey, you need to forgive but but they never really got around to telling you why. And so I think oftentimes messages on forgiveness, that that's what we end up sort of leaving out is, is, is the why. And before I kind of get into maybe some of the emotional or the spiritual reasons as to why, it's interesting that science is actually confirming that there are all kinds of health benefits to forgiveness. In fact, studies out of John Hopkins Hospital show, get this, that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your physical health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels in sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, anxiety, depression, and stress. Dr. Karen Swartz said this about it. She said, There is an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts you into fight-or-flight mode which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, among other conditions. Now get this, she's a scientist, a doctor. She said forgiveness, however, calms stress levels leading to improved health. I love it when science catches up to and just affirms what God's word has been telling us for centuries. She she goes on to talk about how people who forgive tend to live more satisfied lives than people who hold on to grudges. Now here's the deal. I don't really think I need to do much convincing for you that you need to forgive. In fact, uh, one one study actually showed that 62% of American adults will admit that they need to offer forgiveness to someone. Like we just know it. Like we we know this is holding us back to some degree. So why is this so difficult to do? A while back I asked uh, my friends on Facebook that question right there. What is the most difficult thing about offering forgiveness? And their response was immediate and there were all kinds of answers. And I'll just read for you a few of them. One person said, when they won't ask for it or apologize... Another said, giving them forgiveness when they won't forgive me. When you forgive and forget, but the other person won't do neither. Feeling like they somehow win if I forgive them. Letting go of the power you think you have over them by staying angry. That's a good one. Letting go of my pride. Letting go of the pain they have caused you and learning to trust them again. Putting up walls after I forgive. The friendship just isn't the same. And then one last one. I love this one. Continuing to argue with them in my head. Here's what I would say if I hadn't already forgiven them. (laughs) And I think a guy named Peter was wrestling with some of those same objections because of a question that he asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. Now to set this up, Jesus has been doing some teaching. and, And in verse 15, Jesus said, If your brother sins against you. Now Jesus could have very easily said, "When?" Like, "When your brother sins against you?" Because it's a certainty in life. Now, you've all probably heard the phrase, "The only certainties in life are death and taxes." I'd add a third one. Death, taxes, and interpersonal conflict. Like you stay in relationship with anyone long enough, it's bound to happen. And so, Peter's got something in his mind. He's got an example in his head when he asks Jesus this question. Starting in verse 21, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? (laughs) And I love Peter so much because he answers his question with the question. He doesn't even wait for Jesus to respond. He says seven times, and that right there shows you he's trying to impress Jesus. That right there shows you that he thinks that he's going to assume what Jesus is going to say and he's added to it. Now the reason why I can say that is because Peter would have grown up listening to the Jewish rabbis teach that the number of times you should forgive, like they had a number, it was three. You you should forgive people up to three times. That is more than fair. That is more than generous. Now, Peter wants to know what Jesus is going to have to say. And he's been hanging around Jesus long enough to know that Jesus is uh, always uh, kind of adding to what uh, the Jewish law would kind of say. He's always proven to be more gracious. And so Peter's thinking, okay, Jesus is going to say more than three. So let me double it. Six. And let me add one more just to impress him. And I think Peter's thinking, Jesus is going to go, whoa, 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 Peter, you crazy man. Slow down, Mr. Forgiving Machine. (laughs) That's not what Jesus says. In fact, check out Jesus' response. No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, Have you ever had one of those moments when you ask somebody a question and they respond, and they respond in a way that you didn't expect, and so you laugh, but they don't laugh back. I think that's this moment. I think Peter laughed. I think he was like, oh, you got to be kidding me, Jesus. That's a good one. And Jesus is staring at him like, bro, I'm not kidding. That's how many times you should forget. Now, here's the question. Where did Jesus get that number? And did Jesus mean it literally? Like, did Jesus mean if you go one more fence past that one, then you can just, you know, sort of drop kick them? Is that what Jesus meant? No, or, or is Jesus using sort of a hyperbolic language here just to kind of say you should always forgive? Like, what's he talking about? Now, I can't prove this. I don't exactly know what was going through Jesus' mind, but I do wonder if when Jesus responded this way, if Jesus had a guy in his mind named Lamech from Genesis chapter 4. Now, if you don't know the story, you can actually go read it for yourself later. But there was this guy named Lamech who killed a man because he hurt him. And then he declared that he would seek revenge up to 77 times against anyone who ever hurt him again. And this has often come to be known as the law of Lamech. And it basically states, if somebody hurts me, I will make them pay. And it's just kind of interesting And more than coincidental, that that would be the exact number that Jesus would mention here to Peter. See, here's the deal. Revenge is not something that needs to be taught. I've got four kids at home. I've taught them all kinds of lessons. I've never had to teach them a lesson on revenge. They just automatically know how to do it. We're automatically good at it. But we do have to be taught how to forgive. And later in Genesis chapter 6, God expresses his grief over the way that we as human beings keep hurting each other. And he knew that we needed a gift that was so powerful that it could remove what is toxic within our hearts and bring restoration back to our lives and relationships. So Jesus answers Peter's question with a story. He always did that when he knew that it, would, that it probably wouldn't connect if he just gave principles. So he tells a story because story is the language of the heart. And here's the story, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. So I want you to understand that in the original languages here, that uh, the, the sum that Jesus mentioned is an astronomical amount. That there is no way that the servant would be able to repay. Now I'm not just talking about like a thousand dollars or hundred thousand dollars or even a million dollars. The number that Jesus gives in the original languages could be compared to if I were to say to you, he owed a jillion cabillion. Like I say a jillion cabillion. That's, that's not even a real number. Like you would never go into the bank. Like I would like to apply for a loan. How much would you like? A jillion cabillion. Like it's like it's it's a silly it's a silly number. There's no way you need a jillion cabillion, and there's no way you could pay back a jillion cabillion. And Jesus is stating this number to make the point that this was a debt that the servant could have never ever repaid back, even if he wanted to. And going on in verse 25, it says he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. He couldn't pay it all, which is why the master did what he did next. The master was filled with pity for him and he released him. And forgave his debt. The master did the only thing he could do. He released him from this debt that he could never repay. And Jesus isn't just talking about interpersonal conflict now. He has switched over to how the kingdom of God works. He has switched over to the sin debt that you and I could never repay, even if we wanted to. And he's saying, just like that master in the parable, God our father has released us from this debt that we could never pay. But Jesus isn't finished with the story. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him just a few thousand dollars. So a measly amount in comparison to what he had owed the master. But instead of giving him mercy, he he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Notice, by the way, saying the exact same thing. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. I just got to wonder what happened from the moment that he walked out of his master's presence to the moment he bumped into this guy on the street. Had he hit his head? Had he forgotten the grace that had been given to him? Apparently. And going on in the story... As Jesus concludes it, it says, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then he just sort of goes all godfather on him. Then the king, angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then perhaps one of the most sobering, Sentences found, I believe, in all of God's word. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Can I just say that this is one of those things that you just wish that Jesus hadn't said. Peter, could you have not asked the question? (laughs) What I would love to do, as I would love to be able to say, hey, what this really means is, like I, I, in, in the Greek, I found a loophole. What Jesus really meant was just give forgiveness an honest try. And if you can just try to forgive, that will be good enough. I wish I could say that. But that's not what Jesus said. What he said here is much more definitive than that. So what are we supposed to do with it? Well, Jesus, what he's doing here is he is informing you you and me of the unbreakable connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. So while I won't explain away what Jesus said... I would like to explain what Jesus said, and if I could just make it as clear as possible. And this might be the moment in the message that if you've begun to drift off or check your phone, or maybe you're at home right now making a smoothie in the kitchen, and this is just background noise. I know you do it, all right? So could you just zone in here and just... Pay attention to this because I want to try to explain this. What Jesus said here does not mean that we are saved by forgiving others. That would be a work. We are not saved by works. We are saved by his grace. So why did he say it? Well, it means that forgiveness must be a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Let me say it as plainly as I can. Forgiving others is the result of your salvation, not the means of it. In other words, if you can't find it within yourself to forgive other people, it should at least be a heavy of enough question to ask, did I really receive forgiveness? Because if you did, scripture just teaches this over and over again, that's a heart transplant. Could I give you an analogy here? Those of you who are gardeners, you you know, like you can have the, the best quality seed, but if the soil is hard, like if there's no nutrients in it, if it's dry, you can't get a shovel into it. Doesn't matter the quality of the seed, it's never gonna get into the soil. And the same thing is true with God's grace. It's a high quality seed that can get into your heart. But if your heart is hard, there's no way it's gonna get in there. And a refusal to forgive is a telltale sign of a hard heart. And so when Jesus says, God won't forgive you if you can't forgive others, he's not saying that God refuses to forgive you. He's saying that your heart is in no condition to be forgiven. That it's too hard. And you've got to do some soil work in order to allow God to give you that grace that can totally transform it. And I know this is hard because right now I think that there's something within all of us that, as we hear this forgiveness talk, it's sort of as as if... uh, We're hearing about this like tall glass of water that we could take a drink of. And we're out in this parched desert. But the glass of water is on the other side of this canyon. And we're like, I don't even know if I can get to that glass of water. And so throughout all of our lives, there are these various things that people have said to you or done to you that have caused tremendous amounts of pain and hurt. So maybe for some of you, you can remember the names that kids called you on the playground. Maybe they made fun of your weight or they made fun of your appearance. Maybe some of you were sexually abused and nobody ever found out. And you kept it to yourself, but there's a weight to that. Maybe your ex-husband cheated on you. Maybe a business partner stole from you. Maybe somebody said something that was untrue, ruined your reputation. And on all of us, it doesn't matter who you are. We, we've all got these things that we're sort of chained to, these offenses from our past. And we just can't seem to get free from it. And it's this big heavy weight that now we're carrying around in our lives. And so you, you drag the weight into your next marriage and it holds you back. You drag the weight into your next place of employment. And it's hindering you. It's hindering your ability to move. It's hindering your relationships. And so how do, you get, how do you get free from this? And the answer that Jesus teaches, it is forgiveness. But see, it's not that easy. Like we're like, well, I've heard that before. How do I get free from this? Well, you should just forgive. And you're just like, well, there's something about that that I don't like. Because I like justice and I want the other person to pay. And I want them to know what they did. And I get that. But you still got to be free. Because here's the thing, the person that hurts you, they're not the ones shackled. You are. And Jesus has said, I've given you the power to be free from this. So how do you get free? I guess I would begin by, by maybe just walking us through a few things that forgiveness is not. That might help. Like the first thing that we need to know is that forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a decision that you make. And if you wait around for the feeling to come, you probably will never get the feeling. You've you got to make the decision first, and then often the feelings come. See, feelings follow the decision to forgive. They almost always never precede it. Another thing that forgiveness isn't is forgiveness is not forgetting And I think that there have been a lot of well-meaning sermons from well-meaning pastors that say, you you know, you just need to forgive and forget, like God forgives and forgets. And that's actually caused more hurt than it has healing. Can we just kind of clear that up? Does God like really does God suffering from amnesia? Like, does God really forget? Like, I, I don't think that he like forgets. He chooses to not hold the offense over you anymore. That's very different. See, forgiveness is what God gives us. To say, hey, listen, your past has become irrelevant to the way in which I now receive you. That's what forgetting means. He's not going to hold it over you anymore. Forgiveness is not excusing. Excusing is what you do when extenuating circumstances uh, sort of uh, kind of help us understand the behavior. So for example, uh, excusing is what you do when the man is driving really reckless on the interstate. But then you come to realize... That his wife is in labor and he's trying to get her to the hospital. And you're like, oh, understandable. I can excuse that. Excusing is when you're on the uh, slopes in Colorado and somebody comes barreling through and they just take you out and break your leg. You can excuse it if, well, it's their first time on the slopes. They lost control. I can understand that. But forgiveness. Well, that's what's needed when there is no good reason to explain away. Why someone did what they did or said what they said. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. I think that's an important point to make. And most of us are peace seekers and people pleasers. And we don't like conflict and we don't like tension. And so it's hard for us to separate forgiveness from reconciliation. In fact, the person that you need to forgive, maybe they're pressuring you to reconcile. That's not always what that means. There may be some consequences. There may be some boundaries that need to be set into place. Listen, like you can forgive him for hitting you, but that doesn't mean he should move back in. Like you can forgive the business partner for hurting you. doesn't mean you should jump back into business with him again. Forgiveness, all it requires is the heart of one. Reconciliation requires the change of two. See... What is the process of forgiveness? And that's the word that I want to give to you. It's a process. It's not like a one decision that you make and everything is fixed. It is a process. And forgiveness begins in your life and mine when we release our quest to get even. And we just stop having the imaginary arguments in our mind. We stop imagining them being tortured in a dark dungeon cell or getting audited by the IRS right before they go on vacation or she gains 50 pounds of water weight the night before her wedding. All right. It's just, we just stop imagining all that fun stuff because the only person that's really hurting is, is us. It's just hardening the heart. I like how Max Lucado said it. He said, you linger too long in the stench of your hurt and you'll smell like the toxin you despise. Forgiveness then progresses when I release the way I currently see and feel about the other person. So in Jesus' parable, the unmerciful servant did not see the other servant as a human being. All he saw was an unpaid debt. And that's why he could act so heartless about it. And oftentimes what happens is that when we think about the person that has hurt us, we we dehumanize them. And we just sort of relegate them to the worst explanation of who they are. Maybe their worst moments. And unforgiveness dehumanizes the offending party and we always see them in the worst possible light. Reminds me of what author Anne Lamont said. She said, refusing to forgive is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Lastly, forgiveness matures when I release the impulse to replay the offense over and over and over again. Can I say this doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't happen once for all. And you might take two steps forward and one and a half steps back in this whole process and it's gonna be a struggle, but your heart is on the right path. It's on the trajectory where you're continuing to pray that God would soften your heart towards the other person. I love how poet, uh, buddy Wakefield put it. He said, forgiveness is relinquishing all hope for a better past because you can't change the past anyway. But you can change the future. You can change the condition of your heart. See, the gospel message is not just that we have been forgiven, but it's that God replaced our sinful offense with the righteousness of Jesus. We've become a brand new person. And so, your ability to forgive, it really is supernatural. It is one of the results of becoming a new creation. So, can I just answer the question? How can you forgive? And the simple response to that is that you can't because forgiveness is a miracle. It's a miracle that begins when you receive the forgiveness that you never deserved from your heavenly father so that you might pass it on to others. The realization is, is that you and I have been forgiven of a debt that we could never, ever repay. A jillion cabillion. And that should fundamentally change the condition of your heart. There is no way for you to repair the relationship. There is no way that you could have repaired the relationship with God. So God did it for you. He did all the heavy lifting to release you from that debt so that you might be reconciled to him. And Jesus uttered these words on a cross that he meant not just for the Roman soldiers who were betting for his clothes underneath his feet. He said it to you and me. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he released us. So when I was five years old, one of my earliest memories, I went to a half-day preschool that actually met inside the church that we attended. And my preschool teacher had a son that was my age, so he was in the class. And they also went to the church. And uh, I remember on his birthday, uh, she uh, told everybody she was going to take the whole class. It was a small class. Uh, out to uh, Pizza Hut for his birthday party. And so we were all excited about that. We we're looking forward to the day. And uh, I'll never forget, lunchtime that on, on his birthday, we all went out to the parking lot. We all piled into the van. And I'll never forget, she popped her head inside. She looked right at me. She said, oh, Aaron, sweetheart, uh, you're, you're not going. And she had me get out of the van. I didn't know what was going on. I was too young to really process it. And she had me stay with one of the adult uh, assistants, And I remember standing there on the sidewalk and watching all my friends leave in the van to go to the Pizza Hut birthday party. Didn't really understand why. My mom picked me up just a little bit later. She was upset. And I come to find out as I got older that um, she had gotten upset with my parents about something. um, And I don't even know what it was. But she decided to uninvite me to the birthday party as sort of a way to kind of get, get back at them. And I'd like never forgotten it. Like it's like one of my earliest memories. And I know that some of you are thinking, this explains an awful lot about you. And it does. I'm still in therapy. All right. So uh, you fast forward uh, that about 15 years. And I've sort of moved on from it. I, I, don't, I don't really dwell on it. But I'm in college working a part-time job as a cashier at Sam's Club. And guess who comes through my line? Miss, you're not invited to my son's Pizza Hut birthday party lady. And she didn't recognize me, but I immediately recognized her. And not only that, I recognized the scent of her perfume. And all of a sudden, a memory that I had sort of forgotten, I'd kind of packed it away in the boxes of my heart, it got reopened. It was a weird feeling. And I remember standing there, like, looking at her. She had no idea who I was. And and I was, like, taller than her now and bigger than her. I could take her. Easily. And I'm sitting there in my mind. I'm like, I'm like all of a sudden going to these thoughts of revenge. And I'm like, what could I do to her? I could double scan her dog food. That's what I could do. I, I could ask her if she's abandoned any little kids lately. Like I could, I could, I could do that. And, but I, I didn't have anything. Right? I'm just standing there like speechless. I'm just, and here's the thing. She was nice. She was very pleasant. And it just made me angry. And we get done and I hand her her receipt. And she says, thank you so much. And she turns around and she walks away. And I got angry. You want to know why? I just felt stuck. It was as if the emotions of the moment rushed back to me. And I'm sitting here thinking, why is she so free? Didn't she realize what she did? Didn't she realize how she hurt people? And I realized right then and there, I was stuck to an anchor I didn't even know was there. And it began to maybe even explain maybe some trust issues that I had and maybe some bitterness in my heart. It was not a fun process to just realize that I needed to forgive that day. I didn't even realize I needed to. But the emotions that welled up showed me that I did. And I needed to have a funeral in my mind. I needed to separate the wrong from the person who did it and go, you know what? I wasn't in her shoes. I don't know her perspective. I don't know why she did what she did, but I choose right now today to actually assume the best in her and I forgive. Honestly, she may not even realize or remember that whole situation, but I do. So I need to forgive, not because she needs it, but because I need to be released. I need to be released from it. Which leads me to this thing that I know somebody needs to hear today is that forgiveness is remembering how Jesus forgave you and then simply offering that to others. But how did Jesus forgive us? What does that look like? Well, Romans chapter five, verse eight, this verse totally transformed my life. It says, but God showed, God didn't just tell, God didn't just say, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, when? While we were still sinners. That statement right there is what caused me to become a Christian. That statement right there was what changed me from being just a good religious kid to know I wanna follow Jesus in relationship because I realized that he didn't wait for me to say I was sorry. I realized he didn't wait for me to be worthy of it. But well, while I was in the middle of my offense, while I was in the act of sinning, that's when God moved first. And whenever I asked all my Facebook friends about what's so hard about forgiving, One of them said this, what's so hard about forgiving is that if you forgive, they win. And I would very lovingly say, no, they don't. If you forgive, Jesus wins. And one by one, he begins to release you from the chains of what you've been shackled with, maybe for years and years and years. Maybe offenses that you live with every day that you think about all the time. And the ones that maybe you've forgotten have actually impacted you more than you'd even care to admit. And when you can forgive, Jesus says it has more to do with you being free from what's holding you back than it is the other person. And so today, do you need to be freed from something? Today, do you need to let go of that weight that you've been carrying around for far too long? Well, Jesus wants to give that to you. And all you have to do is receive it. And today, if you'd like to begin following Jesus, wherever you are, whether it's at a physical campus or online, you can simply text Jesus to 87221. And we would love to follow up with you. And at the conclusion of this series, I just want to challenge you to consider being baptized. And maybe that is something you've never done. Maybe you believed in God for a long time. Maybe you received Jesus into your heart several years ago, but you never were baptized. Or maybe you don't remember your baptism. Or maybe you did it for the wrong reasons. Maybe today, in a chaotic year like 2020, now would be the time for you to say, I'm all in. I want that. I want to become a new person, to die to myself in a watery grave, to be resurrected as a new creation. So let me pray. Father, we come to you today. I thank you for these three weeks that we've been together both physically and online as we've walked through this series together. Father, I pray that there would be somebody who would experience real freedom from that, which is, they've been shackled to for a really long time. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here today that needs to forgive someone, whether that person wants it, needs it, or deserves it, whether that person is present in their life or maybe they passed away a long time ago really has nothing to do with them it has everything to do with the condition of our hearts and what it is that you want us to free us from and to experience and so today I pray there's be somebody who would get unshackled from that which is weighing them down and that they would be able to receive the forgiveness that you give and to simply offer that to others we ask this in Jesus name and everybody says amen